Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Justin Kaufman, and this is Reset. Well, it's Friday, and that means it's time for our Friday News Roundup, where we break down the biggest local news of the week. Fierce debates over spending during the pandemic and the future of police in Chicago schools. With the police accountability protest outside so loud that it could be heard inside on the Zoom City Council meeting. A watchdog reports the city's missed more than 70% of its deadlines for overhauling the Chicago Police Department. The Illinois Supreme Court says old Chicago police complaint files should be preserved. And the mayor also blasting the Chicago Teachers Union today for what she calls a racist and deeply offensive tweet. With us today to talk about stories and more is WTTW politics reporter Heather Sharon and Chicago Tribune City Hall reporter John Byrne. Alderman took up a number of big issues this week at City Council, including housing and police reform. Heather, I'll come to you first. Lay out some of the highlights. Maybe perhaps the most important thing that happened was that the city council approved $1.1 billion in federal relief designed to help the city respond to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, Mayor Lightfoot's plan sailed through the city council, but not before hitting a speed bump from nine progressive aldermen who wanted assurances that that um, money would not be used to reimburse the Chicago Police Department for any of its costs incurred during the pandemic as part of this burgeoning movement to defund the Chicago mm. Police Department. And and that that's obviously, you know, we, we know that uh, Alderman Sawyer and the uh, the the caucus, the Black Caucus, and the Progressive Caucus as well want to want to really get into the defund the police uh, argument. Did they make any movement on that? Because I know the mayor's against that. Um, she is, and there was an ordinance that would have ended the contract between the police department and the school district um, that got sent to uh, legislative purgatory, uh, the, <laughs> the, the rules committee. So we may have a hearing about it later this summer. We may not. Um, however, it would technically take 26 votes to advance out of that purgatory. I don't know that there are 26 votes that would uh, move, remove police officers from Chicago high schools, especially in the face of the mayor's opposition. Yeah. And, and John, there were there were protesters that were on the streets in City Hall during the during the uh, meeting, essentially uh, really talking about the issue of police and schools. The mayor is against the idea of removing Chicago police officers from schools. We've seen other cities, Minneapolis and Denver. They've they've gone ahead and removed police officers from schools. John, why is why is the mayor holding her ground on this issue? Well, she she essentially is making the argument that one we need the we need officers to assure that our schools are safe, and she also points out that local school councils, of which each school has one, they have the option of opting out of police in schools, and so she says she doesn't feel it's proper to tie the hands of those local school councils by forcing them to take uh, police out of schools. Yeah. You know, from from my vantage point, it seemed like there was going to be a lot of movement from progressive leaders with this meeting. It felt like the lead up to it on Wednesday was all about defund the police or take 
police out of the schools. And after this meeting, none of that stuff happened. Either it was sent to purgatory, uh, legislative purgatory, or the mayor doubled down on her stance and, and, and seems to be winning. So what, what's the takeaway here? Is the, is the mayor, uh, is she more like her predecessors in the sense that she is ruling and it's her way or the highway? You know, she was. it was interesting after the uh, cops in schools ordinance got sent to legislative purgatory by Mayor Lightfoot's hand-picked chairman of the Public Safety Committee, she was asked afterward, the mayor, hey, did you have a hand in this? As we've known for years that mayors get their allies to uh, send stuff to rules where it then withers on the vine. And she insisted, no, 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 I want this to get a hearing. I want full public discussion of of these types of things. So, no, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. That being said, you know, the, the majority of aldermen know that the mayor is against this. And as Heather pointed out, it, it seems like a pretty steep hill to climb to get 26 votes to then, then get it get it out of rule. She can just kind of she can take a step back and still have things kind of go her way on this, I think. Right. For progressive leaders, Heather, was it a big L? I mean, did they, did they lose on Wednesday? I think that um, it is not going to be as easy as uh, it has been in other cities. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. One being the fact that for all the talk and all of the articles John and I have written about sort of the burgeoning sort of rebellion of the city council, the, the, the mayor still controls a majority of aldermen. And without that majority, there's really uh, a limited amount that progressive aldermen can do. I also think that Chicago has a much higher crime rate um, than Los Angeles or New York, where we've started to see this movement sort of pay dividends already for progressives. Um, So it's a much harder conversation to have about defunding the police when you have close to 300 murders by the end of June, when the new police superintendent said he wanted no more than 300 murders in all of 2020. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not a sort of a, a cut and dry issue because you have people who live on the South and the West sides who face gun and gang violence every day. So, you know, even if they're African-American, they may not hear defund the police as something that they want to embrace, right. at, at least at this point. To me, I'm I'm concerned because you'll hear these big protests and, and, and the politicians will get up on stage and they'll say, we hear you and and you have you know, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people maybe expected in Grand Park this afternoon. And at the end of the day, they're not getting their voice heard. So what does that have to, you know, when the, when the mayor says, we're not going to defund the police, we, you know, we're not really going to move forward on this, uh, the demands that protesters are asking for. So what does that do for the, the leaders of the protest movement and their relationship with City Hall? The leaders of the protest movement have been, you know, deeply skeptical of the mayor, of Mayor Lightfoot for a while now. They maybe think that they've got a a friendlier voice than they did with Rahm Emanuel. Some don't think they have a friendlier voice, you know, a person in the fifth floor than they did with Rahm Emanuel. But I don't think this is a shock to a lot of of the leaders of the movement. You know, you saw a lot of talk on Twitter like, you know, we we told you that, that this was who you were going to get with the mayor. You saw Black Lives Matter saying, you know, she's not really a progressive mayor, and we knew she wasn't a progressive mayor, and here we are, as we believed we would be when she got elected. And that's really at the root of what the Chicago Teen- Teachers Union tweet was. I mean, they tweeted out a Scooby-Doo meme, which, which Mayor Lightfoot disguised as a villain, and that they were unmasking the villain, and she was in a cop uniform. 
there are a lot of people that are calling foul, especially uh, racism. I want to play a clip of the mayor's reaction here. Can we play a clip, Dave? Certainly disappointing when a group that professes to be educators, people who um, are in our classrooms teaching our young people, would engage in these kinds of really deeply offensive and disappointing tactics. It's concerning to me because our young people are always watching. It's been really being called out. I mean, it's become a divisive issue among many people in social media and other realms about whether this, this tweet, this meme was racist or not because the Scooby-Doo gang are all white and they're unmasking uh, and, and have a, you know, a caricature of the mayor, a black woman, tied up. There, there has been a lot of calls for this to be racist, and the CTU actually took the tweet down. Initially, the CTU took a very strong stance, seeming like they were going to stand their, their ground on this. Their, their initial reaction after the mayor's comments, the clip you just played, was to release a statement saying, you know, if people want to be outraged about something, they should be outraged about the fact that the uh, mayor won't listen to defunding the police. The mayor won't listen to cops out of schools. The mayor won't listen to Juneteenth as a official city holiday. And, and that's where the outrage should be should be placed. But then, yeah, you're right. Like later yesterday, the tweet just sort of disappeared. And, and I haven't been able to get any uh, straight answers from the CTU about why that happened. And to be fair to the CTU, I mean, they're, they, I don't think there have been too many times where they've been been called racist, <laughs> you know, when it comes to, to their, their dealings with the city of Chicago. But the, the mayor went out of her way to call them out and say that the tweet was offensive. And, and they, they're losing in this battle because it's not a good it's not good optics, Heather, for for CTU has been a fight has been a champion for teachers and for people of color for some time. Well, this really goes back to the fact that when Rahm Emanuel announced that he wasn't going to run for a third term, CTU saw this as an opportunity to really exercise its political clout and make sure that whoever replaced him was going to be much friendlier to them. And they uh, did not succeed in that by any stretch of the imagination. They endorsed Tony Preckwinkle over Lori Lightfoot. And Tony Preckwinkle, of course, only got uh, approximately a quarter of the vote in the 2019 mayoral race. So things have been tense since then. And Mayor Lightfoot has said that she expects the teachers union to put up a candidate to run against her in in 2023. Um, So, you know, this is just a skirmish and sort of a long running battle between uh, the most powerful union in Chicago and Chicago's most powerful politician. But I think it does go to sort of point out the fundamental truth of, of Lori Lightfoot. You know, she she certainly ran on a progressive platform, but she has always um, been sort of more at ease and more sort of focused on reforms rather than uh, new progressive um, initiatives to some extent. So I think there's really been a a sort of a year-long tension over whether um, a progressive can be a reformer at the same time, or if the mayor is is sort of most comfortable in her lane as a reformer, uh, sort of fighting corruption, which of course has really taken a backseat during the coronavirus pandemic. Juneteenth, of course, today, and a resolution was put forth by City Council on Wednesday. Uh, Let's hear a clip of that resolution. Next is the Juneteenth resolution, and I'll call upon Alderman Haddon, who is the primary sponsor. Alderman Haddon. I know that we have more work to do, but together we're going to achieve our goal of making this an official holiday in our city and in our country. 
This is an interesting story. Alderman Haddon, one of the uh, she she won elections. She's a rookie alderman, but she had actually put the, a resolution on Juneteenth up way before the last week. Um, so so what is the revolution and and the resolution? Also, the council agreed to study reparations. So tell us about that. There had been a big move back in November to create Juneteenth as an official city holiday, um, but the mayor has said all along that that would cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million that the city did not have back then and is in much worse financial shape now. So that wasn't even on the agenda um, for this week's meeting. But what they did do was to pass a resolution to sort of honor it um, and to recognize it. And for several aldermen, that just simply wasn't good enough. Enough. Um, and uh, I would expect that you will see this sort of effort come back again. And at the same time, the city council stopped short of forming a commission to study reparations, but will instead form a, a subcommittee. Um, also, uh, I've been told because of financial concerns, and that was approved unanimously, except for two Northwest side aldermen, Alderman Anthony Napolitano and, and um, Alderman Nicholas Pizzato, uh, both of whom are former Chicago firefighters mm. and who are often among the most pro-police on the city council. Mm. Let's move on to the economy because, uh, and, and we'll stay in city council for just a second, but the the aldermen, they approved the mayor's plan, we kind of talked about right at the top, about the, to distribute the $1.1 billion in federal stimulus money from the CARE Act. John, how is that money going to be allocated? Does that cover just the, the fact that we're in such a budget hole, or is there specifically where that money has to go? Yeah, there are all kinds of rules on where the money has to go, which is which is crux of some of this pushback. Uh, a big chunk of it's going to airports. A big chunk of it goes to uh, public, the city's public health response to COVID nineteen, and then there are smaller amounts for things like homeless services and housing assistance. But there's about three hundred and thirty million of the one point one billion is is discretionary for ongoing costs. And uh, when, when the mayor's people unveiled this, there were several progressive aldermen who said, we want guarantees that none of this money is going to go to pay, like, police overtime, police costs, things like that. And the, the mayor's people won't give that guarantee. And the, the, the mayor's administration is kind of saying, like, look, if we can justify using this money for police overtime that we already spent, we've got to pay those police officers for that. And if we can do it with this federal money, then we don't have to do it with taxpayer money out of the city's budget. So they're, you know, they're, they're a little bit frustrated by, by this argument, but it's clearly, you know, the defund police movement is, is a very powerful voice at this moment. And so there there are these freshmen aldermen, mostly freshmen who are saying, we cannot go back to our constituents and say that this money might get used for cops. We just can't do it. Heather, I want to talk about the economic impact of COVID-19 on the city and state finances. At the beginning of the pandemic, you saw uh, State Senate President Don Harmon send a letter out. It was the White House, right? It was essentially saying, or maybe it was an editorial at the time, but it was essentially saying we need money if we need bailout money to help us. And the, the president kind of used that in a way to say, I'm not bailing out these cities and their pension problems. We're not going to do this. It's almost become a, a divisive point about how federal funding is going to be used. When you look at the state and the city's finances and, and whether it's the, the state budget or the city budget, it's a dire situation. So so how does this, when we're talking about the CARIC, but also about the idea of, of the, the budget deficits moving forward, how does what impact is that going to have on us? 
Well, it's going to have a huge impact. And uh, when the General Assembly approved the budget and Governor Pritzker signed it into law a couple of weeks ago, uh, they explicitly said, look, this is, you know, sort of a, a stopgap measure. We need more federal help. And um, the state needs federal help to pay bills that are unrelated to its pensions. And the city is in the same boat. So, you know, a lot of the focus will now be on whether there is going to be another federal relief package and how much money that will send to the state and to the city. And that will really determine the what difficult decisions the city and the state will have to um, take. You, you know, uh, we're, we, we don't really even know what the budget, will, budget deficit will be in 2021 for the city. Before the pandemic, it, it was going to be, it was estimated to be somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars. Right? Yeah. So things have only gotten significantly worse since then. And the city's budget for 2020, the current fiscal year, is $700 million in the hole. And then the governor and the mayor said that was a conservative estimate. So it's really hard to overstate the financial peril that the city and the state are in right now. And this comes after years of cutting um, and, uh, you know, sort of making the easy decisions. Uh, all that's left really is, is to raise taxes yeah. or end city services there there are no other you know options left the city and the state are are highly leveraged and will have a hard time borrowing more money it's 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 the one part and the aspect i don't think the media is is grasping yet and i know the politicians don't want to talk about it is just the severity of where we're at in the economy and what i i don't mean the stock market and the ups and downs and and when you look at the the fact that i think it was in june 30 percent of people miss their house payment. Right. And you look at the fact that there are furloughs at, at your organization, John, that, that, that they're just constant. You see what's happening here at the WBEZ where uh, layoffs and 12 people got laid off. It's had a profound impact on, on this station. And, and I can only imagine when you're talking about the public sector, private sector, how many people are getting pink slips left and right. We're, we're kind of past the beginning sort of shock of the pandemic, but what is what are the politicians and what are our leaders t- talking about when it comes to the fact that these are abnormal times and, and there doesn't seem to be a solution? I think our leaders are stumbling from one sort of uh, emergency to the next at this point. I don't think they're fully getting their hands around it either at this point. At least I haven't seen any evidence of that. I know at the city level and at the state level, they're like, hoping and hoping that that the federal uh, leaders get their act together on this and send a lot more money. But there just seems to be uh, a lot of gridlock on that end about things. Yeah, Heather, I mean, I, it seems like that story is kind of being swept under the rug. The idea that that so many people in Chicago and Illinois and the country and the world are losing their jobs. Yeah. And it's it's complicated by the fact that we've seen the stock market sort of, you know, bounce back a little bit and, you know, stop falling precipitously. And I think that the the sort of the impact of the financial crisis has been uh, mitigated by that increase and, you know, no more big headlines about massive stock market drops, but also by the fact that, you know, people are still eligible for $600 a week of pandemic unemployment assistance. And that is helping many, many people keep their heads above water. Uh, That will end right now at the end of July. So uh, many economists believe that we're not going to sort of start being able to see the real toll of that 
that until the end of July. I, I think also a lot of it will depend um, on whether there's another surge of coronavirus cases here in Illinois and in the city. Of that federal relief money we've been talking so much about, the city is basically putting $40 million into a savings account and hanging on to it in case there is that second surge. Is that going to be enough? Nobody's really mm. sure. So it's it's a hard story to tell because there are so many unknown unknowns uh, in addition to known unknowns. It was interesting to hear the mayor's people basically say, Alderman pressing them about, you think 40 million is enough? And the mayor's finance people were like, yeah, maybe not. Like, <laughs> That's exactly right. what it was. This yeah. isn't enough. We don't know. We're we have just no gonna, idea. We're going to spitball here and put it put aside 40, but whoops. You know, we'll, I guess we'll find out when we get there. <laughs> I, that's the, I think that's a lot of. Uh, it's not, obviously it's so it's so close to everybody, and it's on everybody's mind because obviously if you are not having finding a job at this point uh, in this uh, COVID nineteen pandemic era is very very difficult, and the idea that that more and more people are getting laid off is tough. The on uh, when I go back to politics for just a second, it's been a pretty good week for Governor Pritzker in the sense that uh, he was really being railed. He, he and other governors in the Midwest were, especially Democrat governors, were 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 caught in the you know the the, the Twitter laser of President Trump and and the right that they were terrible governors and they were not opening their states and and they were hurting the economy and they didn't care and and the coronavirus is a hoax, all that kind of stuff. But to look now and see how. The, the numbers are declining in states like Illinois. That's that's a huge victory for Governor Pritzker. It Certainly compared is. to the governors in, in Florida and Texas, you know, I mean, they're dealing with these spikes. And, and so, yeah, it's 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 always it's always kind of a shock to see Illinois leading the way in something <laughs> like this. You know, I mean, for me personally, I looked at that. I saw a chart last week and was like, no, nah, I can't be right. Like Illinois is showing the greatest. Of course, we started out with very high cases so so that plays part of it too but yeah. illinois like at the top of the list on low cases decreasing is was a little bit of a of a, of a shock to my system man heather it's a, it's a huge national story for the state of illinois it is. And I think you're right in that it provides Governor Pritzker a form of political protection, because whenever Republicans complain about sort of the the impact of the stay at home order, he can point to those declining cases and say, look, uh, we did the right thing. And his argument has been all along that if we follow the public health data, the economy will back, bounce back um, more robustly and more permanently than if you open things up precipitously and then have to shut things down. That truly is just the the nightmare scenario for both Governor Pritzker and for Mayor Lightfoot to have to say, well, uh, yeah, no, I understand that two weeks ago we reopened the lakefront, for right. example, but we're going to have to shut it down again because cases are back surging. And you're seeing because of because of the uh, I would say, you know, the, the good numbers, you're getting even more pressure from people to to open up uh, the, the economy, including indoor dining. I want to play a clip. This I think from this maybe from Mayor Lightfoot. Yeah. This, Dave, this is Mayor Lightfoot talking about indoor dining. It's way past time that we open up indoor dining, and I'm going to continue to push uh, for that very thing to happen. Why does she say that? Because, you know, if you're following the data and it's obviously they've laid it out, why, why put political pressure on uh, opening up indoor dining? 
I, I was struck by this too, um, because the city is about five days behind the state in reopening. So as of June 26th, the city could allow uh, indoor dining at a limited capacity. However, Mayor Lightfoot has said that Chicago will not move into the next um, phase until July 1st. So if Mayor Lightfoot thinks it's safe and important to reopen indoor dining, she doesn't have to wait until July 1st. She can open it June 26th. Um, and I know that this was a source of, of frustration among some of the governor's staff who say, uh, you know, look, uh, you're behind us. We're in front of you and we don't really understand the, the criticism. Hmm. Yeah, John, when you think about the, the fact that these two Democrats usually should be on the same page. They, they've done a pretty good job of, of being in lockstep, especially at the beginning of, of the pandemic. We were worried because they were taking they're both doing different press conferences and we weren't sure what was happening. But right. but to hear the mayor here say she's going to push for something when it seems like they have a plan on how it's supposed to be rolled out. You do wonder about if they're both sort of serving different audiences. And, and she's managed to, she's got Sam Toya, the, the restaurant association guy, his, the head of the restaurant association. He's, he's bought into the mayor's plan. She's, she's brought him along. She's brought him into the tent instead of having him outside the tent where, where he was uh, expressing, you know, a lot of uh, frustration on behalf of his members with the governor early on. So I, I wondered when I heard the mayor saying that whether she was, she was sort of speaking to that audience of of uh, restaurateurs and, and the leadership of, rest, of the restaurant organizations and saying, like, you know, I, I've st- I, I'm still working for you guys and, and we're going to try to move forward together on this. Yeah. Uh, you know, as we wrap here, I, I think about what we skipped so much stuff. We skipped the DACA stuff and, and, and we didn't talk at all. It was a big week. It was man. a huge yes. week. So what do we look to, to next week? I mean, we look next week and the things that, that obviously this is, is this news is coming at rapid speed. What, what are you guys keeping your eye on? Well, I think we should know next week, the end of next week, um, whether Chicago will move into that next phase of, of reopening. And to this point, uh, you know, at noon on Friday, we have not seen a surge of coronavirus cases connected to the, the police brutality protests that were touched off by George Floyd. And I think people are still uh, holding their breath, for lack of a better metaphor, to see if that holds. Mm. John, what about you? So we got the, the lakefront and... Uh... The, the 606 or what, Monday, Monday morning at 6 a.m. So right. I think we'll be watching to see whether, you know, the mayor's out there driving slowly along the lakefront, rolling <laughs> down her window and yelling at people to, to distance themselves as, as she did uh, earlier on. I mean, the, the lakefront was her signature, her, the signature moment for her kind of, you know, stern uh, leader uh, persona in the, in this whole situation. And so reopening it is a, is a, big moment for her as she tries to control the the way that the city gets back to normal. Oh, yeah, we'll be looking at that. All right, that's it for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel today, WTTW politics reporter Heather Sharon and Chicago Tribune City Hall reporter John Byrne. Heather and John, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. And that's a wrap for today's Reset. And, you know, if you appreciate the coverage and conversations we bring you here on Reset, please go to WBEZ.org and hit the donate button on the top right. Like so many individuals and organizations, the COVID-19 crisis has hit WBEZ hard. We continue to bring you the best mix of reporting and personal stories anywhere, but we can't do it without your help. 
Next week is our summer pledge drive, but you can kick things off right now by going to WBEZ.org, hitting the donate button. I'm Justin Kaufman. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on Monday. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.